Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, come on. Good morning, A45. Candlelight service, A45. That's an early one. You guys are, are brave people. I love it. Uh, last night was a blast. We had so much fun. There was a lot of joy in the house. It made me think of Luke 2 7. Uh, Angel says, Fear not, I bring good news that will cause great joy. Great joy. So I feel like we had a lot of great joy in the house this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 1. Uh, Tom, the message Merry Christmas. A Savior is born. A Savior is born. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Uh, Matthew 1 says this This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take uh, Mary home uh, as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. Now catch this, watch this. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now just to give you a little context, um, when Jesus was born, it wasn't in an English language. Our English translation comes from the Greek. We get the word Jesus from Jesus, uh, the Greek word Jesus. Uh, Jesus means salvation. Um, but the, the original context was Jesus was a Hebrew. And so he was to be called Yeshua. It's where we get the name Joshua from. Uh, Yeshua comes from the root word Yesha, which means to rescue and to save. And so what it would have said was, uh, you shall give him the name Yeshua because he shall Yesha his people. Uh, there, is, there is a description in the name. He is Savior. Uh, and I want to remind you this Christmas that Merry Christmas, you need a Savior. Uh, Merry Christmas, you need to be saved. And some of you are like, I don't need to be saved. I'm good. No, no, you need to be saved. I'll, we'll, do a te- I'll do, we'll do a test to prove you need to be saved, all right? You guys, you guys want to do a little test this morning? 845, you're, you're the Achiever uh, service. This is the type A service, so you want to do a test. Um, all right, first question. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever lied. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, point to the people that didn't raise their hand and say, you big old liar. <laughs> Last night's service, 90% of the people raised their hands. It was a very honest service. This was about half. There's a lot of liars in this service. <laughs> uh, and, I'm just saying, and you're like, I don't ever lie. Yes, you do. I guarantee it. Even tomorrow when you open up presents and you got to, you know, read one of those things where you slide up and, and like an, on an iPhone, it's like, have you read? And do you agree to all these terms? And you click yes. You didn't read all those terms. <laughs> liar. Okay, so, so. Trust me, you a liar. Um, second thing, uh, raise your hand if you ever stole something. Go and raise your hand. Okay, yep, yep, okay, okay, okay. Quick, quick, uh, there's a quick hand right there. Like, uh, 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 uh. Yes, we do have a lot of cops in our church. Um, uh, so hopefully it wasn't recently, statute of limitations, you know. Um, uh, yes, I have stole before. Yes, I have. I, when I worked at McDonald's, um, I would... Um, give people free food, and I thought I was giving them free food for my own money, but it wasn't. Like, I'd be at the register, and a family would come, worked at Walmart, McDonald's, and family, you could tell they you know, um, had a hard day. And I'd be like, you know what? It's on us today. And I just pressed the comp button. And they'd be like, wow, thank you so much. I'm like, you're welcome. Have a great day. And I, I felt so good. I got all the credit. All I was doing was stealing money from McDonald's. So I had one day when I did it five times, and my manager's like, why did you comp five meals? And I was like, oh, the families needed it. They're like, you're not allowed to do that. Like, that's stealing. I have to report this, you know? And so, um, and then some families that they love nuggets, sometimes I'd be like, you know what? Hold on a second. I'd put a whole bag of nuggets in. I'd fill a grocery bag of nuggets and be like, hey, have a great day. Merry Christmas. And so, yeah, I stole before. I owe McDonald's some money. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, third question. Third question. Raise your hand if you've ever lusted. Where are my lusters at? That's a weird one, right? Yeah, it's like, oh, really? Oh, I got to raise my hand. 
What's interesting is the front row is so eager to raise their hand. Yes, that would be me, you know. Well, hello. Um, uh, okay. Uh, and then last, last but not least, uh, raise your hand if you've ever been angry with somebody. Honk the horn at them, you know, maybe, maybe uh, send a mean tweet, you know what I'm saying? Well, let me just encapsulate what Matthew 5 just said we are, have a room full of. We have a room full of lying, thieving, uh-huh. adultering, murderers. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I feel good, right? I feel good. I feel good. I think that's a good thing when we find out we have this room because then other lying, thieving, adultery, murderers feel welcome in the house because this ain't a perfect house. And until you see yourself, not as just like somebody who sins a little bit, but as a wretched sinner, then you're actually going to see yourself, you need a great savior. And Christmas is here to tell you, you need a great savior. And not only do you need a great savior, but he is here to save. He says, you shall call him Yeshua, for he shall Yesha. Now you shall call him Condemner, for he shall condemn. You shall call him Judger, for he'll judge. No, he came to save you. He came to set you free of things that are stealing from your life. First thing Chris reminds us is that we need to be saved. We need to be saved. Second thing, I just want to uh, give you a little context. What is Christmas? I get this every year. Every year I'll have somebody come up to me. Hey, I have one of my friends, and they tell me that Christmas is bad and we shouldn't celebrate it. Um, and if you have one of those friends, just gently tell them that they're not invited to your Christmas uh, uh, party. But um, I-, I want to catch real quick. Uh, Christmas of course, it was not originated like in the Bible. Like they didn't have Christmas, the first uh, birth of Jesus. They did celebrate it, but Christmas was actually birthed in the third century. Um, and what happened in the third century was the Christians were in the Roman culture and they were celebrating uh, Saturnia and they were worshiping the sun god. And it had mistletoes, it had um, gifts, and it had a lot of gambling, a lot of indulgences going on. And the Christians at that time... Um, didn't know what to do with that day, and they didn't want to uh, celebrate Saturnia. So every Christian, when you live in a broken world, you're going to have to process these three things. Do you receive it as it is? Do you reject it completely? Or do you redeem the day? And the Christians of that day said, we're going to redeem a day, and we're going to, and this was basically the creed. We hold this day holy, not like the pagans, because of the birth of the sun, but because of him who made the sun. And so uh, we celebrate Christmas. Nobody knows Jesus' birthday. And just because up, birthdays are actually pagan. Those weren't uh, originated until the third century also. Um, but Christmas, we, we, we celebrate Christmas simply this, is to choose a day to say, God, we're going to honor the day that you were born. Martin Luther uh, in the 16th century made uh, Christmas trees uh, uh, somewhat famous because he brought them in the house to reference simply this. The word evergreen is used to reference any plant that keeps its leaves in color even during winter when everything else appears to be dead. Martin Luther used this as a symbol as the unchanging nature of God and the everlasting life that Christians receive through Jesus Christ. So we don't worship trees. We worship the one who created trees. Amen. So that's where Christmas came from. So you want to celebrate Christmas? You want me to talk about Santa? You guys want to talk about Santa? Is Santa good or bad? You want to do it? You want to, Harry Potter. You guys want to do a Harry Potter conversation? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just keep on going down that thing. Okay. Um, that's for a different service for a different day. Okay. 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 Um, uh, and then what is Christmas all about? Christmas is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Uh, over 40 times in the New Testament, Jesus is described as a gift in the New Testament. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Too wonderful for words. I'm going to pray in just a second. And one of my gifts to you today, if you've um, been at our church for a while, today's a 25-minute message. And you're like, oh, you say all that? No, it's actually 25 minutes. Uh, I was not going to make the kiddos sit through 50 minutes of my amazing teaching. Uh, <laughs> and the Greek, and the context, and the, and the expository hermeneutics this morning. Um, but um, what I want to do is, I, I just want to bring all attention to Jesus today. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at three things. Jesus is bigger, Jesus is better, and that Jesus is brighter. Uh, that's what Christmas represents. So we bow your heads, I'm going to pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing 
in your house. This is your church. Uh, God, today we, we celebrate uh, that when you came to this earth, uh, it caused great joy. God, when there was no hope, you became hope. When there was no way, you became the way. And so, God, we simply give you all the glory this morning. May my words fall to the floor. I come against distraction. I come against apathy. Would you wake us up this morning to our inheritance? Would you wake us up to how much you love us? Would you wake our eyes up? Would you open eyes and open ears this morning? God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? First thing, uh, Chris reminds us that Jesus is bigger, is bigger. Matthew 2, it's a big part of the Christmas story. I want to read some of it to you. I'm not going to read all of it. It's a pretty big chapter. But you're going to see a character in here. One of the main characters in the story is Herod the Great. Why is Herod the Great mentioned so many times in Matthew 2? Let me show it to you. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up uh, and took the child uh, and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled that the Lord said to her, through the prophet, out of Egypt, I'll call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in the vicinity uh, who were two years, years and younger. Fast forward to verse 19. After Herod had died, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream of Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and get back to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Stop. Over and over again, you'll see in this, it's got the darkest part of the, of, of the birth because uh, Herod the Great is this evil leader that has basically uh, been demonically either possessed or oppressed or led to do just demonic things in this region. Uh, Herod was appointed by Caesar, the most powerful man in the world, to be the king of this region, the king of the Jews. Um, in history, he's one of the richest people ever to live. Uh, most things say top 10 richest people ever to live. He had 500,000 people on his payroll, Herod the Great. 500,000. Like Amazon got a lot of employees. They don't got 500,000 employees like that, okay? Uh, he had 500,000 employees on his payroll. Just him. Herod ha- uh, hated opposition. When Herod came to power, the first thing he did was slaughter everybody from the former dynasty. Um, he hated opposition so much that he started his rule off with killing thousands of Jews that opposed him in the streets. Um, one time in a fit of rage, he uh, ordered that 300 uh, nobles would just be killed. So if he got him angry, he was going to take care of you. Um, after he established himself and wanted people to know he was the greatest king of the Jews ever, he started to study the king of the Jews uh, throughout the Bible. And he uh, heard the story of David hiding in the caves. So he built a three-terrace palace called Masada, to show that he could live in better caves than David. Um, he heard, heard of Solomon's temple, and he had hired 18,000 workers to build a temple to show he was the greater Solomon. It took him 40 years. Um, he also wanted to impress Caesar, so he built a port and named it Caesarea. Israel had no port, just a swampy marshland. He drained it, brought concrete in from Italy. The biggest port at the time was 60 acres large in Athens. He built a 520-acre large port, 80 feet um, to 100 feet deep. Um, one day when he was sailing back to the port, he didn't like the way it looked. So he told them cover of marble and they covered it with marble. Um, he was so rich that when they would have financial problems, uh, um, in the nation, uh, like the Olympics, they couldn't, um, um, finance the Olympics. He sponsored them. So it'd be like, these Olympic games are brought to you by Herod the Great. Okay. So he was the sponsor of, uh, of the Olympic games. He had 11 wives, 40 kids. His favorite wife was Merriman, but because she was so beloved, he didn't like it when somebody liked uh, somebody else more than him. He had her killed and then brought in her sons to debate who he, that he should have live. And they decided, you know what? I'm just going to kill all of y'all. So he killed all the sons. Um, his worst thing you'll see uh, in his uh, life is killing all the kids under the age of two that you'll find in scripture. He also killed half the priest uh, of the Sanhedrin, uh, which would have been like the, the, the biblical uh, law back then. Uh, and then to finish it off, 
he was uh, a man who loved to tax people. Taxed 25% on crops, 50% on fish, and then they had different kind of celebration tax, festival taxes, sales tax, state income tax, you get it. Um, um, you're like, we feel your pain. Um, they were taxed. Uh, toll bridge tax. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it. 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 Fast track. Okay, anyways. Um, um, uh, they were taxed 80%. The Israelites were taxed 80%. I, I, I want to give you this context because this is the nation that Jesus was birthed into. And if you were there, if I could get you in a DeLorean and fly you back to Jesus' day, uh, you, me, Marty McFly, all of the above, and, and we hop out and I would show you Herod the Great and you would see his palace you would see his temple. You would see his hand on everything in this nation. Would you say, my money's on the little baby in the manger. My money is on that, that thousands of years from now, Jesus is going to be the one that we talk about, not Herod the Great. Now, now, let me tell you, Herod the Great's a great name, but he's not the name above all names. And so I just want to encourage you real quick. Chris reminds us that Jesus is bigger. Now, now, we're talked about a huge mess back then. That mess, Herod the Great, of course, was toppled. Do you know anything? Uh, the, the early church over, uh, literally overthrew the Roman government, literally turned it upside down. That, that government would become a Christian nation, uh, if you will. And so, uh, catch this. That was a macro story. Let's go micro. Your story. All of us got some kind of mess right now. And I'm just here to encourage you real quick. Christmas reminds you that Jesus is bigger. He's bigger than your mess. And don't vote with your natural eyes. Do not vote with your natural eyes how it's going to play out. Start believing with your spiritual eyes that if God did it back then, he can do it today. Amen? So Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger. Um, uh, now, what, what, what should that do in your life? What should that do for you? Well, one of the things I did this last week, and this was more just something I did for fun, but then I decided I was going to add something to my message, is I started studying the top 10 missionaries that every Christian should know about. I was like, I just wonder, like, what, what would compel somebody to become a missionary like a Hudson Taylor or a Jim Elliott or a William Carey um, or a C.T. Studd or so on and so forth, Amy Carmichael. Uh, and the reason why they all became missionaries, they had this one common thread. They believed in a big God. Not a small God, but a big God. And can I say real quick, we're called Mission Church for a reason, because you're all missionaries to the Bay Area. Do you know they send missionaries to the Bay Area because we're the least church reason now? It makes me feel kind of funny. They're like, Ty, you need some help. I'm like, oh, come on now. We got this. Um, I want want to read you something about William Carey. He's somebody who thought God was very big. Uh, William Carey um, is known as the the father of modern missions. He was born in the 1700s. Uh, Missions had died down. The early churches knew that's just what they were supposed to do, go on all the nation and make disciples. But somewhere along the way, the church started thinking small. And seeing God small, so they became very denominational driven and very just much like, oh, we're just here and we're in this little pocket of the world. And so William Carey said, hey, I I feel like it's a mandate for us. I feel like it's a a commandment that we're supposed to go into the world and make disciples. I think we're supposed to go to China and India, these unreached regions, and tell people about Jesus. He was reprimanded. He was chided and say, you're being silly. That's a stupid idea. There's no way that we have the translations. There's no Bibles to give them. This will not work. We're not going to do that. He was basically almost kicked out of the denomination because he wanted to go uh, proclaim the gospel in other nations. William Carey hid on a boat because it was illegal to do this. Hid on a boat to get to India. Came to India, started preaching the gospel. It took him years for his first convert. He was a gifted linguist. He learned language. He actually translated uh, the Bible into their language. It became uh, one of the most um, used Bibles in, the, in that region of India. Uh, but as he was there, after the first person got saved, then it became just a snowball effect. Thousands and thousands were saved. And can I tell you what William Carey said this? He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. 
I just want to encourage you. I pray you attempt great things for God this next season of your life. Uh, he went on to say this also. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Woo. Come on, I want to encourage you. Uh, attempt great things. C.C. Studd, who was a part of the Cambridge Seven with Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was one of those famous missionaries. Hundreds of thousands uh, led in, in China. Uh, it's one of my favorite things C.T. Studd said. He said, your calling must be bigger than your comfort. The calling on your life must be bigger than the comfort that you want in your life. He said, some wish to live within the sound of a church and a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Well, we live in the Bay Area, C.T. Studd, so we got you, okay? Um, uh, we, we pushing through. Um, uh, Eric uh, Lydell said this, we are all missionaries. Uh, if you don't know who Eric Lydell is, there's a famous movie called Chariots of Fire that was based off him. He was the missionary that won the gold medal Olympics. Um, he says, we, we are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring people near to Christ or we repel them from Christ. Man, I want to bring people near to Christ. Um, and I love what he, he said right here. And just, again, you'll find this common theme in people that see God as a big God, not a little God. And the calling is a big calling, not a little calling. It has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal. But since I've been a young lad, I've had my eyes on a different prize. Everybody say different prize. prize. You see each one of us in a greater race than any I've ran in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. I want to encourage you, there's a bigger prize, there's a bigger race, there's a bigger reward because there's a bigger God. Amen? I I wrote this down. The The world is starving for the word of the Lord. They are tired of dead religion. Weary from wineskins with no wine, frustrated with jars with no oil, and churches without power. It's time to believe in a big God that can change the worst things into beautiful things. I'm here to remind you today that our God is bigger. Bigger than politics, bigger than all the data, bigger than your worry. He is bigger. Can I get an amen for that? This next year, as you just even reflect on Christmas, he's bigger. Nobody thought a little baby in a manger could come against Herod the Great. Nobody thinks that the Bay Area could actually be overturned and become actually a Christian region. I believe it because my God is bigger, amen? Second thing Chris reminds us is Jesus is better. He's better. Hebrews 7 says this, for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Ooh, a better hope, a better hope. I don't know about you, but very rarely in life is everything just clicking on all cylinders. Jobs great, marriage great, friends great, finances great, health great, politics great, the region's great. I mean, everything like great, 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 great. Very rarely, you know, my, my sport team's winning the World Series. Uh, my Seahawks are winning the Super Bowl. Very rare. Congratulations, Niners. I, I got my money on you. You guys are going to dominate in the playoffs. I'm, I'm a Niner fan this year. I want the Seahawks to lose out and get a good draft pick. So, woo, go Niners. Anyways, okay. Um, but next year, next year's a different story. I don't want to talk about it right now, though. Okay. Um, so, uh, but very rarely is, is everything going great. Job's going well, but then the kids are acting nuts, you know? Uh, job's going great, but my health is off. Or, or, or I'm great, but then something's going on in the job. And what I'm telling you is that you are going to need hope in some facet of your life, in every season of your life. Yeah. There isn't going to be like a, a week where you're like, you know what? I didn't need hope this week. <laughs> everything was great. Hope, you can just go on the shelf. No, 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 no. No, hope is something that you need always in your life. Because the reality is, is troubles come in every shape, form, and sizes. I feel like troubles are like Starbucks. You want a grande, you want a vente, you want a tall. You let me know, we'll give it to you, okay? Um, and as I've pastured for 20 years, I, I just, in conversation, I just see it in every conversation I have with somebody. One person will ask, like, hey, how you doing? Oh, Tyler, I just I want to be married. You know, I'm single, and I just want to be married. Like, I just, it's just been so hard for me. Will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you to get married. Next person, I'll talk, hey, how you doing? I'm married, man, and it's so hard. Will you pray for me? Like, marriage is so hard. And I'll be like, mm, you two should talk. Uh, <laughs> next meeting, oh, I, would you pray for me? I want kids. Oh, yeah, we're going to pray for you to have kids. You got them, pray for you to have kids. Next people, will you pray for me? I got kids. 
Too many kids. We got so many blessings in our home right now. All these little blessings. Will you pray for me? I got kids. Like you two should talk, you know, and so on and so forth. Will you pray for me, Pastor? I want a job. I'll pray for you, you know, to get a job. Will you pray for me, Pastor? I got a job. Over and over again, the reality is that, that there are, let's use the term, storms are going to come and go. And if you don't have the right hope, you're going to fall right down in that storm and not know how to get back up. I, I wrote this down uh, in, um, uh, I didn't write this down. I, I got this from the Bible. It's John, Job 8. I didn't write down Job 8. The, the oldest book in the Bible. I wrote this down thousands of years ago. Um, those who forgot, uh, forget God, those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget Jesus, they have no hope. They're like rushes without any mire to grow or grass without water to keep it alive. Suddenly it begins to wither. Even before it gets cut, a man without God is trusting in a spider's web. Everything he counts on will collapse. If he counts on his home for security, it won't last. I love uh, what um, Andy Dufresne was told uh, in the movie Shawshank Redemption. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best thing. Hope isn't being optimistic all the time. That's not what hope is. Hope isn't a, psych- uh, uh, um, hope isn't a psychological thing. Optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. It's, theolo- it's rooted in scripture. Um, Hope is the certainty that no matter what storm comes, you know you're in the right boat with the right Savior. Psalm 62.5 says it this way, let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. There's something about saying, I get it, I'm in a storm right now, but my hope is better. My hope tells me that if I stay in this boat, that I, if I don't give up in life, if I fall down seven times, I'll get up seven. My hope tells me that he is going to get me through this storm and this is the right boat to be in. N.T. Wright says it this way, we are, today, uh, we are today where hope has brought us, and we will be tomorrow where hope will take us. People who stop hoping, stop moving. People who stop hoping, stop fighting, keep hoping. Hope makes us a better people. So not only is hope a better foundation, but hope makes us a better people. Isaiah 40, 31, Jesus is our better hope. Uh, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. One of my favorite um, studies that I, I come from is, it's a very heavy study, but Viktor Frankl was a neuroscientist and, you know, studied the concentration camps and, you know, was a part of him. And he said that the one thing that would change somebody more than anything else in, in the concentration camps is when they lost hope. He said, when somebody lost hope, they would become bitter and angry and nasty. And scripture shows right here, when hope is deferred, it makes you sick. It, when, hope, when hope leaves, your soul gets sick. And I'm telling you, hope makes you a better person. Uh, you can go weeks without foods. Uh, you can go, it says you can go week without food, weeks without food, um, without water, minutes without air, but you can't go five seconds without hope. I'm here to remind you today, hope arrived not in a paycheck, not a politician, not a political party, not an ideology, nor a system, or even a nation. Rather, hope arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. Christmas reminds us to put our hope and our hope alone in Jesus and then live out this hope. Amen? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna finish with... Chris reminds us that Jesus is brighter. Jesus is brighter. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are the gospels. And Matthew and Luke uh, share uh, what theologians say, the facts about Christmas. You'll see the genealogy. You'll see it's almost like an eyewitness account of pop, 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 pop. Here's all the things that happened on on, on Christmas morning. Um, Here's the genealogy that led to it. And Matthew is the eyewitness account of Joseph. Uh, You'll see from Joseph's perspective. Luke uh, shares the facts, and it's from Mary's perspective. It's interesting that Luke's story is way longer. I feel like Mary maybe told the story a lot longer. Just I thought that was kind of funny. Um, Anyways, okay. Um, Did you get that joke? Okay, anyways. Um, 
I'm just, I'd be like Mary. I tell her really long. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who would talk a long time. Okay. So, uh, so then Luke was um, uh, uh, Mary's eyewitness count, the, the, the facts. And it says that theologians uh, theologian say that John shares the meaning of Christmas. So Matthew and Luke are the facts of Christmas. You share everything that happened at Christmas, but the John shares the eternal perspective, the meaning of Christmas. And I want to read you the meaning of Christmas. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Everybody say light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold this glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. When sin entered the world, uh, when Adam and Eve um, decided to not trust God, sin entered the world. And ever since then, for thousands of years, man has been trying to manage sin and manufacture their own light. Religion was an idea. Maybe, maybe if we become really religious and follow all the religious rules, then we can manufacture light in this world. Maybe we can make this world brighter if we have a great religion. But when man tried religion, they started all these rules and they tried harder and harder. And all it did is they failed at those things and it made the world darker and darker. Religion does not make the world brighter. It makes it darker. And then man said, you know what? Maybe we can try culture. Culture in different regions and different pockets of the earth said, if you do these things, then you'll have a really bright life. If you get this job and you make these three decisions and you do these four things and get these five things, then you'll have a bright life. And the reality is you live enough years, you realize that culture will never ever produce light in your life. And then there is of course just making up your own legalistic laws. Not something from a religion, not something from culture, but you're like, you know what? I'm gonna make my own rules. Problem is everybody who makes up their own rules fails at their own rules. Trust me, the New Year's resolutions are starting in January and stats show that 80% will fail within the first month. So over and over again, We've tried to manufacture our own light. And then John 1 comes around and said, there's no need for you to manufacture light. It has come to dwell among us. That word Greek word is tabernacle among us. In the Old Testament, the fire of God could not be around man because it would destroy him. There had to be a sacrifice paid. And Jesus, when he came as a baby, he knew his mission, his initiative, if you will, that he would come to this earth and pay the ultimate price so you and I could dwell with him. Not have a distant relationship with them, but dwell with them. And not only dwell with them, but dwell in us. I think one of the beautiful, most beautiful pictures I can share what really what Christmas is, is Christmas was the end of religion. It was the end of religion. There's this teacher, pastor in London uh, named Dirk Lucas, and he sh- shares this dialogue between a Christian in the early days of the church and a pagan neighbor to get the point across. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to show you and I in this conversation that religion died and a relationship was birthed. That darkness died and a light was birthed. And just hear this conversation and just see how it plays out. And I hope it opens your eyes to really the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. Dirk Lucas says this, imagine a Christian talking to a pagan neighbor. Pagan just means somebody doesn't know the Lord. And a pagan neighbor says, oh, I hear you're a Christian. Great, a new religion. Tell me, where's your temple? And the Christian would say, well, we don't have any tabernacles or temples because Jesus is our temple. Oh, says the pagan neighbor, but where do your priests do the thing? Priests have to have a place to do their thing. The Christian uh, Christian says, well, I'm sorry, we don't have any priests. Jesus is our priest. What, says the neighbor, but where do you do the sacrifices? You know you have to curry favor with with the gods. You have to do all these things to get their favor so they accept you. You have to do this. 
and you have to have rituals and observances. These are the rules and regulations and sacrifices. Where do you do all that? The Christian says, we don't do sacrifices anymore because Jesus is our sacrifice. Finally, the neighbor would say, what kind of religion is this? And the answer is, it's no kind of religion at all. Isaiah 9 says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Christmas reminds us that we cannot manufacture a great light. It reminds us that we couldn't get to God, so God got to man. We light these candles to remember the one who came uh, to this dark world, not to condemn it, but to save it. Can I get my candle? You want to give me a light? We had this happen last night too. Where, where the, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you, Leonardo. And then I moved too fast and it went out last night. So I'm learning from Saturday night. Candlelight service has been around for, gosh, hundreds of years. And the familiar can steal from the powerful. The familiar, like, oh yeah, I light a candle and I raise the candle. But I was asking, Lord, Lord, would you, would you awaken me to the reality of what today represents? So my prayers this morning, Lord, I don't want to go through a familiar exercise of the candle lit. I want to understand really what it represents. And the kids are reading scripture today. And I literally started crying when they started reading scripture because we have found favor. He is pleased with us. He does not see darkness in us anymore. He sees light in us. And the calling on our church is to make this place better and brighter. And there's enough people complaining in the region. There's enough people judging the region. We're not here to judge or complain. We're here to speak to mountains. We're here to love people. We're here to light up an area. So as we have these candles lit, I'm gonna have Lisa sing Silent Night. And I just want you to reflect on what Jesus has done for your life and what he's gonna do in your life because he is bigger, he is better, and he is brighter. Go for it, Lisa.
something about candlelight service where you invite your friends and they decide to come and they think they're just coming to light a candle. But every year I'm always surprised to see how many people say yes to Jesus. They say yes to salvation. They say yes to Yeshua, Yeshua. And if you're in the house today and you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you've walked away for years, you just want to rededicate your life saying, I'm coming back, Jesus, I'm coming back. If that's you, if everybody could just bow their heads real quick. I just want to give somebody an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, you want to say yes to salvation, yes to heaven, no to hell. You want to say, Jesus, I'm coming back. I've wanted, but I, I want to live for you. I want everything that you've promised me, and I want a relationship with you. If that's you, would you raise your candle up and say, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus on the count of three. One, two, three, raise it up. There's candles all over. God bless you. God, we thank you for the candles raised that represent hearts responding, saying yes to you. Second question is, is it's interesting. Go ahead and raise your hand up real quick. Everybody raise your hand up. It's amazing when you raise your hand up how, how much brighter it gets, how easy it is to see the light. The Bible says that worship's gonna set us apart. And may this be a prophetic picture for you this next year that as we actually worship God, not only with our words, but with our life, man, it makes the areas we live in brighter. Our homes brighter, our workplaces brighter, our friendships brighter. The call in the church is simply this, make things better and brighter, salt and light. God, would you use us to make this area brighter? May we bring kindness. May we bring joy. May we bring truth to places. May we bring light to dark places. We don't need to battle people, God. We just need to uh, share your good news. So God, we like the angels say, no need to be afraid. You bring good news that will cause great joy. Would you cause great joy in the Bay Area, God? We love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.